China the only nation boosting its nuclear arsenal, according to a U.S. commander. That plus a new kind of nuclear technology, and Beijing may get the rights to it. Drought in South China. Farmers say crops are failing as soaring temperatures take their toll. And the same heat wave sparking fires nearby a major city. Another U.S. politician visits Taiwan. This time, Indiana's governor is meeting with the island's president, plus its advanced chip-making companies. And Australian diplomacy taking a hit, with Chinese telecom company Huawei slated to build over 160 telecom towers in the nation's backyard. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. Indo-Pacific commander is warning that Beijing is seeking the largest military buildup in history since the Second World War. He adds that China's stockpiled nuclear arsenal poses a threat to the Indo-Pacific region. The commander, Admiral John Aquilino, says the only nation increasing the nuclear arsenal right now is the PRC. The PRC stands for the People's Republic of China, the country's formal name. He said China had 300 nuclear silos going in while the press conference was happening. The Pentagon estimated last year that Beijing could have up to 700 nuclear warheads by 2027. Continuing with nuclear technology, China operates 54 nuclear power reactors, and another 23 are currently under construction. That puts the country at second place for most nuclear reactors in the world. It trails behind the U.S., which has a whopping 93 nuclear reactors. But the world's nuclear list may shift as concerns over energy rise. Many countries are now weighing whether to revive their nuclear power plants. Though China seems to be taking it one step further. The Chinese communist regime has been targeting an advanced nuclear power technique for years. In China's remote northwest, scientists successfully built a molten salt reactor, and they're about to power it up. Instead of using uranium, it's powered by thorium, another radioactive metal. The reactor will be the first of its kind. And if China sees success with using thorium in reactors for commercial use, Beijing may be able to gain full intellectual property rights for it. Despite its uniqueness, the technology behind it isn't new. The U.S.-based Oak Ridge National Laboratory operated a similar prototype in the 1960s. But conventional water-cooled reactors were put in use instead. An intense heat wave is scorching China's Yangtze River Basin. It's lasted more than two months, and it's putting harvest season in jeopardy. Here's what a Chinese farmer had to say about what it means for this year's crops. 68-year-old farmer Chen Shawa combs through his plot of land in southwestern China. Normally, at this time in August, his sweet potato leaves would be growing thick and plentiful. Instead, they're burnt to a crisp under the sweltering sun. All scorched, you see, certainly cannot grow. The high temperature is slowly roasting the sweet potato leaves to death. Mm. China's Yangtze River is quickly running dry amid a two-month heat wave. And it's not the only one. 66 rivers across 34 counties in Chongqing region have dried up, according to state broadcaster CCTV. One district reached 113 degrees Fahrenheit on Friday, the hottest in the country. 
Rainfall is down 60% compared to the seasonal norm, putting the autumn harvest in jeopardy. China is taking emergency action, sending specialists to vulnerable regions to help allocate water resources. The Ministry of Water Resources put out a warning about deteriorating soil moisture in several provinces. Regional governments are being urged to draw up schedules for farms to take turns tapping what water remains. The fresh water Chen has been relying on from a nearby mountain stream has dwindled to nothing in recent days. He's turned to a nearby pond, carrying buckets of water every morning to try and save his crops. But the leaves and stems continue to die. Chen says he hasn't seen the temperatures this high since a historical heat wave over a half century ago. This year is drier than 1960. The temperature is higher this year. It wasn't as high as this in 1960. The temperature is so high every day. We have to work in the morning. In the afternoon, we only stay in the house. We are afraid to go out. The Yangtze River is the longest river in China and supports about a third of the country's population. Next, we head over to central China, where similar issues are cropping up. A farmer from Henan province highlights the trouble in a video, showing off wilted corn and peanut plants. He explains that this time of year is harvest season, but notes that this year, farmers' efforts have yielded virtually nothing. He says the lack of water has plagued hundreds of acres of farmland in his village. Now an update on a different kind of emergency. Fires have broken out in the woods outside Chongqing City in recent days. That says local temperatures soars to highs of 113 degrees Fahrenheit. The local weather station has issued its highest level heat wave warning for 11 days straight. The latest blaze ignited on Sunday in an area relatively nearby a residential zone. The fire was still burning as of Monday, though authorities have reported no casualties. For the third time in a month, a high-level U.S. politician is visiting Taiwan. Indiana's governor met with Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday. Also on the schedule, talks with Taiwanese semiconductor companies. Here's more. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb arrived in Taiwan on Sunday. His trip follows two high-profile visits by U.S. politicians earlier this month, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and five-member delegation. Taiwan has been confronted by military threats from China in and around Taiwan, the Taiwan Strait. At this moment, Democratic allies must stand together and boost cooperation across all areas. Holcomb termed his visit an economic development trip. Because we share so many common values and interests and goals, there are more opportunities ahead of us than I think there ever have been before for us to continue to strengthen and cultivate and nurture uh, this relationship as our economies grow and grow together. His four-day visit will focus on economic exchange. That's set to include a visit to local semiconductor companies and signing trade agreements. Taiwan is home to the world's largest contact chip maker, TSMC. The company is currently building a $12 billion plant in Arizona State. Tencent isn't a household name in America, but for those who play video games, the company may sound familiar. 
The Chinese tech company is quietly growing its ownership of the world's largest game developers. NTD's Arlene Richards has more on the story. Chinese tech giant Tencent has been quietly buying a significant share of the world's biggest video game companies. In the first half of 2021, it completed one game-related deal every two and a half days. It owns 100% of Riot Games, which means it owns the super popular League of Legends. It owns 40% of Epic Games, which is home to smash hit Fortnite, as well as majority, minority, and undisclosed shares in a ton of other firms. Any company in China is completely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party and must support the Chinese Communist Party's direction uh, and goals. Casey Fleming is the CEO of Black Ops Partners, a global risk strategy and counterintelligence firm. Fleming says any technology coming from China is a weaponized technology. It's weaponized to uh, to weaken the United States and the values of the West. And that's that's named the name of that is called hybrid warfare to weaken your adversary and make you stronger. Fleming believes China wants to influence people who play video games, such as children with pro-China, pro-communist values. The amount of say that Tencent has in any individual game changes game to game. It's this constant push and pull between what the audience want, what the original developers want, and then what the executives want. Josh Stripe Hayes is the host of the Josh Stripe Hayes YouTube channel, where he plays and reviews video games. As for pro-CCP propaganda... I don't know if we have any specific proof of that happening yet, or any games that have said they are overtly doing it. If anything like that happened, then the internet, especially sites like Reddit or IGN, would likely be reporting on these kind of things. He says Tencent has generally been associated with monetization. They frequently lock the best parts of a game behind a paywall, which players find unfair. Arlene Richards, NTD News. China is unloading even more treasury bonds. At the same time, other countries are buying more U.S. debt. This according to the Treasury Department's data. In June, China owed nearly $970 billion in U.S. debt. That figure is down $12 billion compared to May, meaning Beijing has been dumping its holdings for seven consecutive months. China's ownership of U.S. debt hit multiple 12-year lows over the past few months. China is the second largest owner of U.S. debt. Japan is by far the largest. Different than China, the U.S. ally increased its holding by $8 billion in June to $1.2 trillion. In third place is the U.K. with $615 billion. In total, foreign ownership of U.S. debt rose by $4 billion to $7.4 trillion. Chris Turner, global head of the markets at financial services company ING Group, commented on the shift. He says Beijing's sell-off aims to keep Chinese currency stable in a strong dollar environment. A new deal between China and the Solomon Islands. Under it, Chinese telecom giant Huawei would build over 160 telecom towers in the island nation. To pay for the project, the Solomon Islands would take an over $60 million loan from a Chinese state-owned bank over 20 years. 
The deal is a step further in China's relationship with the Solomon Islands. The island nation has been a point of contention between the U.S., China and Australia. That has to do with its location. It has deep ports ideal for military bases and used to host a strategic headquarters for Japan and the U.K. when they control the Pacific. Back in World War II, the Solomon Islands was also a critical battlefield between the Allies and Japan. And this April, the West was put on alert after Beijing signed a security deal with the Solomon Islands. World powers like the U.S. and Australia are concerned that the deal could pave the way for a Chinese military base there, just a thousand miles off the coast of Australia. The U.S. and Australia ramped up their diplomatic engagement with the Solomon Islands following the deal. But China hasn't been sitting idly either. Months after the security deal, a Chinese state-owned company reached out to buy a forestry plantation on the Solomon Islands. Though the Chinese buyer showed little interest in the trees. Instead, it asked detailed questions about the nearby deep water port. Back to the telecoms tower deal, it marks a blow for Australia's diplomatic efforts. Australia has been trying to stop Huawei from setting foot on the Solomon Islands. And it specifically bankrolled an undersea cable to the Solomon Islands to outbid Huawei. It's also funding six towers in the Solomon Islands, compared to Huawei's over 160 towers. What's more, concerns regarding Huawei equipment extend beyond Australia. In the U.S., Washington is also shelling out big money to kick Huawei out of America's telecom network. Washington says Huawei is a Trojan horse for Beijing and could use its gear to spy on Americans. An FBI investigation also found that Huawei has been setting up equipment on cell towers near American military bases. Many of those towers are in rural areas, so installing gear there is unlikely to turn a profit for the company. Some experts say that hints that the company has another purpose for pursuing them, like intel gathering. Coming up, a Canadian billionaire gets sentenced to prison. He used to be one of China's wealthiest and was known for his connections to the country's political elites. And China's real estate sector is stuck in crisis mode. What's really happening? Brian McCarthy, chief strategist at MacroLens, breaks it down. Hear the details in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese authorities have dropped the hammer on a Canadian billionaire. That's after using security agents to seize him from a luxury hotel in Hong Kong five years ago. Let's take a closer look. A man that used to be one of China's richest was sentenced to 13 years in prison on Friday. On top of that ruling, he and his company are facing over $8 billion in fines. The Chinese-Canadian billionaire Xiao Jianhua is known for his connections to top Chinese Communist Party officials and their families. Xiao made headlines five years ago when Chinese security agents seized him from a five-star hotel in Hong Kong. Surveillance footage shows he was removed from the building in a wheelchair, with his head covered by a blanket. He then went missing. Three years later, Chinese authorities confirmed that Xiao was in mainland China and that he was cooperating with authorities to reconstruct his business. Xiao appeared in public this July to stand trial. 
top officials from the Communist Party also attended the trial. Xiao pleaded guilty to bribery. Before his fall from public standing, Xiao was in charge of a giant business empire called Tomorrow Holdings. The massive company held financial stakes in various sectors propping China's economy, from banking to insurance to real estate. He used to have a net worth of six billion dollars, and Xiao's success story was once an example of the connections between China's business moguls and ranking political elites. The court says for over decades, Xiao and his company gave about a hundred million dollars worth of assets to Chinese officials. The assets were in the form of stock shares, real estate, and cash. Xiao has a Canadian passport. Despite that, Chinese authorities didn't allow Canadian embassy officials in Beijing to attend his trial. A Chinese foreign ministry spokesman says Xiao doesn't have the right to another country's consular protection because China doesn't recognize dual citizenship. A province along southeast China's coast is ramping up control measures on its citizens. Authorities in Guangdong are launching what they call electronic residence permits. They are now mandatory for all residents in the province. To apply, locals must first register their residency and ID information with local police. They are then assigned a digital barcode called the Living in Guangdong Code. Social media posts reveal that community workers and volunteer police are going door to door, directing people to register. The barcode program was launched this March. It's an upgraded version of the health codes used in China for contact tracing and pandemic control. Comments from one social media group described the new barcode as a hundred times more powerful than the old version. Well, a tweet likened it to a ball and chain, or a pair of handcuffs that follow wherever their word goes. It went on to say that Chinese people are slaves to these kinds of technology. Just three months after the new version took effect in March, the barcode was again upgraded. This time, into the current electronic residence permits. An expert described the registration process for it as a tool for the Chinese Communist Party. That's so it can better monitor Chinese citizens. It allows the police to quickly and easily locate any person at any time. The impact is huge. That is, the efficiency for this dictatorship. It unprecedentedly improves the police's ability to monitor people. Lai says Chinese authorities will likely impose the electronic residence permit mandate across the country, and that its use in Guangdong is probably a pilot program. Reports of an unusual kind of police drill are coming out of China. Videos suggest police officers there are practicing the use of force, but not against dangerous criminals. Instead, the targets are those who refuse to cooperate with COVID-19 testing mandates. A police department in Inner Mongolia posted a video on Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok. The clip shows six fully armed SWAT police, short for Special Weapons and Tactics. They are seen with guns and shields at the ready, encircling a man who is posing as someone refusing to get tested. The video's subtitle reads: "He refuses to cooperate by taking the COVID-19 test. Take him down." A similar case was caught on tape, except this one wasn't a staged drill. During the incident, a man riding a scooter was surrounded by a group of police. Two police motorcycles blocked his path. Was a police car standing by in the area? The man was blocked in and could be heard arguing with the officers, saying, 
你这样锁住人家不给人家出去买东西呢？我们这边都没有什么秘籍秘籍。His comments may have offended the police, as he was heard repeatedly explaining that he wasn't accusing them of anything. The police on spot reported the case. It is unclear what happened to the man after the encounter. An update on China's real estate crisis. Housing issues in the country are getting worse, and property developers there are facing a cash crunch. Oxford Economics says developer cash flow is down 24 percent through July compared to a year ago. The drop comes as China's property sector remains trapped in a serious credit crisis after regulators tighten lending standards. Home sales have plunged and banks have given out fewer loans. Many developers are now in survival mode, while some have defaulted on their debts. That's including Evergrande, one of China's biggest builders. S&P Global Rating says around 20% of the Chinese developers it rates could become insolvent. What does the future hold for China's real estate sector, and will it continue along the current downward spiral? NTD's Don Ma spoke to Brian McCarthy, the chief strategist at economic strategy firm MacroLens, for details. Brian, thanks for coming on. So it looks like it's just one bad news after another for China's real estate sector. I'm sure you saw this. Apparently, property developers' cash flow is down 24 percent. I I mean, the bad news just keeps rolling in. Um, You know, floor space sold, I'm going to call it down by over a third over the last three months, year on year. Um, You know, there was a report from Evergrande recently where their sales were down, I think, 97 percent, like basically have gone to zero. Um, And I'm sure, you know, many of you viewers have heard about the mortgage boycotts that were sort of a a feature of the landscape a, a month ago. They seem to have quelled that. But there are reports of broader discontent in the public uh, with property developers and the banks that facilitated their behavior um, in terms of you know taking these pre-sale deposits and squandering them in what is now becoming apparent was a Ponzi scheme, effectively. Now we know about the factors in, like the pandemic, lockdowns, Debt issues. What do you think? What do you think some of the contributing factors are to sort of the decrease in cash flow and other things? I think the main factor is that this is a, a, a market that has been pumped up by uh, excessive credit flows and widespread moral hazard for well over a decade, uh, and the bubble has burst. Um, you know, as soon as the government made it clear that they were serious about no longer underwriting rampant speculation in real estate, that speculation came to a halt. And now we're seeing the backside of what is probably the biggest asset bubble that we've seen in recorded economic history. I see. Now, here in the U.S., we talk about the housing market, recessions, and and the economy. What about China's housing market? What impacts does that have on China's economy? Well, because of the command and control system that they operate, they do seem to be immune from the kind of uh, self-reinforcing credit crisis that we saw in the West in 2008, whereby asset prices decline, people worry about the credit worthiness of anyone holding those assets, and then credit dries up to those entities holding the assets. They're forced to sell the assets, the prices fall, 
and it, and it spirals out of control, which is what we saw in 2002, 2008 in the West. In China, the assets, whether it's mortgages or securities related to mortgages or loans to developers, are largely, they're pretty much all held within the system. So some foreign bondholders, uh, some foreign creditors to Chinese property developers will get burned, but that's really small potatoes. The bulk of the assets are at at state-owned uh, banks or insurance companies or you know the asset management companies, uh, all of which are viewed as the state. And there's really no one to call their credit in because they finance either directly or indirectly through the PBOC. So the entire system is plugged into the central bank. So they can always print money to keep that system liquid, which means you will not have the kind of credit crisis you saw in 07. Now, ultimately, the printing of the money to keep that, fi that, that financial system afloat will undercut the currency. The issue there is Chinese trade surpluses are at record high because their economy is being dented by the property bust and the zero COVID policy, while the rest of the world is reopening. The rest of the world has been buying goods rather than services because of the pandemic, which, which has blown out China's trade surplus, which last month hit $100 billion, the biggest month ever. Um, and China has also shut down outbound tourism, which was a big source of leakage of funds. So there's like a lot of money uh, flowing into China from the trade surplus and not flowing out because they don't let their citizens go abroad. Um, which which gives them a really unique degree of control over the currency right now. So from the timing of blowing up the housing bubble, this external backdrop that's very unique and beneficial to China's trade surplus has really been a godsend for them. And it's allowing to keep all these balls in the air for now. Brian McCarthy, Chief Strategist at MicroLens, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Don. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show, or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.